Okay. Okay. We just uh, we just finished opening. Okay. So, I think Rally Mays is though on the East Coast this week. Ah. Okay. Okay. I guess we can get started. Okay, great. Uh, good morning, everybody. Thank you for coming to learn together this morning. Um, so, as usual, what we're going to do is I'll uh, raise two shilas that came up recently, and you let me know uh, which of the shilas you'd like to discuss. One of them I already raised in a shear, not not to this group, but in a different shear, and um, uh, and and it wasn't chosen. So uh, maybe maybe this time it will be. Um, but uh, the two shilas are as follows. First of all, I had a Talmud or have a Talmud who came over to me a couple of, uh, last week, actually, um, after I gave a shear in a community, and he showed me that, on his, that his hands were, uh, that his right hand was, was, uh, was, was a little bit uh, messed up to the point that he was unable to move all of his fingers on his right hand. He is a childhood cancer survivor, so his oncologist said, this happened while he was in Israel for the, for the year, so his oncologist said, you need to get home, like, immediately so that we could see what's going on, and when he got home, they Baruch Hashem discovered that it wasn't anything to do with cancer, but was nerve damage in the spine that affected his hand, and he still can't bend several of the fingers on his hand now, it's a couple of years later, and he's using his left hand now for many of the tasks that he used to use his right hand for. Uh, when this first happened, he was talking to his shul rav, uh, Rav Kelmer Zechat Sadek Levracha, who said, you know, he was giving him chizik, and he said to him, by the way, once you settle into a routine, and you figure out what you do with your right hand and what you do with your left hand, you should come talk to me again to figure out which arm you should be putting tefillin on. Because it's not so passionate that you're going to continue to put tefillin on your left arm. And uh, now that he's settled into a routine, it's a couple of years later, now that he knows what he does with each hand, Rabbi Kelmer's atzal is no longer with us. So he uh, no longer has Rabbi Kelmer to consult with on this issue. So he asked me to weigh in on the issue. And he wrote me this long text where he went through a whole list of activities that he does with his right hand, with his left hand, with either hand, with neither hand, and, and uh, you know, very, very detailed, but, but the important ones, uh, writing, he doesn't do at all anymore. He doesn't write at all anymore because uh, he can't write with his left hand because he was a righty, and nor can he write with his right hand because he doesn't have the dexterity in his fingers to do so. So he types, he types everything, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't write anymore, and he got an allowance for college that he doesn't have to write anything, that everything is, uh, is, is, uh, is typed. Um, he uh, he still plays baseball righty, but he play he goes bowling lefty because bowling involves the fingers. You know all sorts of uh, different uh, different different um, uh, items that he lists. What he does with one hand or the other, opening a can of uh, of seltzer. He says uh, he could do eat with with either hand, but he does it uh, most often with his left hand. But opening a jar, he does with his left hand. But when he raises his hand in class, it's with his right hand. When he plays mini golf, it's righty. You know all these. Uh, <coughs> <laughs> these details. So that is Shiloh number one. Shiloh number two is that um, <clears throat> every once in a while, including unfortunately somewhat recently, uh, there is someone who is an important person in the Jewish community, someone who is having an impact in a uh, very public way in the Jewish community, and then there are accusations made against that person, that the person has been doing some terrible things, that the person had done some things that are very wrong, that are very terrible. Very often, there are Rabbanim, that are, uh, that are you know, rabbis that are accused of these things, 
and uh, immediately there's a, there's a backlash, and everyone uh, says, "Okay, you have to stop. Uh, you have to get rid of all their books and all their svarim." And certainly, if they're writing uh, books that are helpful for the emotional development of children, but it's someone who's accused of taking advantage of children, then you have to certainly get rid of all the books in any yeshiva, in any uh, shul, or any home that has these books has to get rid of them regardless of their of their content so the shayla is, is is that true meaning whatever happened to innocent until proven guilty is that a jewish value and uh what do we uh, what's the level of evidence that you need against somebody in order to say that we need to stay away from from this person most of the things that people are accused of are things that we can never know with 100 percent uh certainty what the what the story is so uh so what's the uh what's what's our attitude toward uh toward keeping toward keeping the these books so uh so and uh and, and in general toward the person in general so that is shyla number two so if you could just vote in the chat it looks like people already did vote and it looks pretty unanimous so far okay so uh <laughs> i guess everyone likes uh controversy so okay so we'll uh i, I, I should be down the covers not that everyone likes controversy it's that everyone wants to know lamaisa what do we do when we have such a situation because unfortunately this does come up so let's uh let's Let's discuss the the, uh, the the case broadly, meaning, and then we'll get down to maybe some details as they've uh, as as they've come up. Uh, certainly, I'll, I'll I'll preface with a couple of things. First, first thing I'll preface with is that things like this need the das of Gedola Yisrael. That uh, we can learn the sugya, we could try to figure out what we would think uh, is the right thing to do. Uh, but certainly, one has to consult with uh, Gedola Yisrael, who are familiar with each situation and uh, who are familiar with, in general, uh, the, w- the way the world works. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not enough to uh, consult with someone who is uh, very knowledgeable in, uh, in the way the world works, but is not also Gadol B'Torah, nor is it enough to, uh, to consult with someone who's Gadol B'Torah, but is totally unfamiliar with how the world works and with uh, the sensitivities of, uh, you know, of this kind of situation. Uh, nor is it enough to consult with someone who is familiar with these kinds of sensitivities and who is a Gadol B'Torah, but is unfamiliar with the particulars of the case. It's important that the person also be familiar because every case is so different. So that's caveat number one, that is uh, that is introdu- introduction number one. Introductory point number two, I will say, is that um, a lot of times uh, people get very rattled when something like this happens, rightfully so. We're talking about people who have had a major positive impact on uh, on, on individuals and on the tzibor, and when you find out that such a person is accused of doing terrible things and that uh, you can't uh, hold them on the pedestal or you don't want to hold them on the pedestal that you used to, uh, we still start to become cynical about everybody and we start to think that there are no good people and that all the people that we thought were good, uh, who knows what they're really up to and who knows what they're really doing and that is not a healthy attitude. I think it is always important to remember that uh, these are the exceptions that prove the rule, that even when someone is guilty, when someone has done something terrible, that is not necessarily a reflection of the majority of, uh, you know, of people who serve Klal Yisrael, the majority of Rabbanim and Mechanchim for the sake of Klal Yisrael, and uh, and we should we should certainly 
continue to have faith in humanity and to have faith in our uh, in our leadership. A a, a third point that Mari Vrabi Rav Willig made is almost the flip side of that. While we continue to have faith in humanity and we continue to have faith in our leadership, um, nevertheless, it is also important that a person does not tie up their entire uh, religious observance or their entire motivation to serve the Rebbe Shalom to a single individual, to a single person. That uh, that is not a healthy way to serve Hashem. We uh, we we use our uh, role models, rabbinic or otherwise, as inspiration to become better avde Hashem, but they are not the basis of our avodas Hashem. And therefore, there is no single individual where uh, where if something uh, were to be proven about them, or uh, at least uh, um, you know suspected about them, there is no single individual that would rattle us to the point where it affects our Avodah Hashem entirely. So those are three points of Hakdama. So again, three points of Hakdama. Number one, we, these, these uh, Shailas need to be brought to the highest levels of people who have all three levels of familiarity, familiarity with the particulars of the case, familiarity with the, you know, how, how these cases work and how these, uh, and you know, how the world works in general and uh, the psychology behind it, and familiarity with Kala Torah Kula, with, uh, they should be Gedole Torah, who are Manhigam of the Tzibor. Uh, point number two, we cannot lose faith in humanity. Point number three, we cannot put our full faith in A, human. Um, now, with that backdrop, let's discuss a little bit about uh, someone who does something wrong, or who is accused of doing something wrong, and what our, what our attitude is. It happens to be a Beferish Gemara. The Gemara Meseches Moed Katan and Daf Yud Zayin tells us, It's so interesting. The Gemara does not say, if you have a Tzorba Mirabanan, if you have a Tamil Chacham, who has done something terrible, or who you know has done something terrible, who you have seen them do something terrible. It says, Sanu Shumane, that uh, they have a bad reputation, that people are speaking about them, that it's something that uh, the, the word is going, uh, going around, that, uh, that they have misbehaved. So I'm Rabbi Yehuda, Hechi Lavid. Rabbi Yehuda said, we are in a bind. What do we do in such a case? On the one hand, Lishamte, we would want to put the person in Cherem. Should we do that? Putting them in Cherem means... That uh, that you do not uh, you know connect to their writings or to their teachings or you know we we do not support them so should we put them in cherim? Uh, it's really a cherim is a curse that the person should die. It's a pretty severe thing. So says Gemara, we can't because tzrichi le rabbanan. This person is providing a service to Klali Israel that nobody else is providing. They are too needed to be able to put them in cherim. So how could we do that? But what's the other option? Lo Should you not put them in cherim? What, what a terrible Chil Hashem would that be if these are the leaders of the Jewish people, if these are the people that Klal Yisrael looks up to, and when they're people that do such terrible things. So you can't put them in Cherem, you can't not put them in Cherem. So Rabbi Yehuda, you see the struggle, you see the struggle that Rabbi Yehuda, that Rabbi Yehuda has over here. There's nothing proven, it's only Son of Shemane, you don't know for sure, and on the one hand, Klali, the person is doing something for the Jewish people that nobody else is doing, and 
on the other hand, what a chil Hashem to allow this person to be a public person in the Jewish community. So he said to Rabbi Barbachana, do you have a tradition how to handle such a difficult situation? What does the Pesach mean when it says that, uh, that you should be mevakesh Torah from the person because he is a Malach Hashem Tzavakos? It means, That if the person is like a Malach Hashem, you should seek Torah from such a person. If he is not like a Malach Hashem, do not seek Torah from such a person. Shamte Rabbi Yehuda. That's all Rabbi Yehuda needed to hear. He put him in Cherem. Meaning he was struggling with it, and the struggle is real. Here's someone who's providing something and doing something, and we don't have any clear evidence one way or the other, but the, 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 the world does not view him as a Malach Hashem Tzavakos. We cannot seek Torah from such a person. If that was the only Gemara in Shas, it is an open and shut case. It is very clear that one cannot seek Torah from such a person. Probably even means from Torah that the person has produced previously, prior to, uh, to, to uh, when these accusations have come to light. And if it's true about his Torah, one would imagine it's true about Divrei Musr and Hashkafa and matters of, uh, of, of, of emotional development and things of that nature as well. However, there is a Gemara in Chagiga Daf Yudal Beis, where the Gemara tells us about the Pardes, that there are four people that uh, entered the Pardes. This, is, uh, this has some very deep meaning people who saw what was going on on the other side, sort of up in Shemayim. And they were Ben Azai, Ben Zoma, Acher, and Rabbi Akiva. And Rabbi Akiva told them, when you get to the Avnei Shayish Tahar, don't say Mayim Mayim. He gave them like codes of what to do when they got to a certain point. So, uh, the, uh, so the Gemara says, what happened to each of these people? Ben Azai hitzitz umes. Ben Azai looked at what was going on there and he died on the spot. And then uh, the Gemara says, Ben Zoma hitzitz Vinifka. Ben Zoma looked at what was going on there, and he uh, and, and and he became crippled. Or he went, uh, he became uh, mentally uh, incapacitated. Acher kitzitz benetios, and Acher uh, went off the derech. So uh, it did not work out for anyone except for Rabbi Akiva, essentially, the Gemara tells us, that uh, Acher heard a baskal that said, Shuvu banim shovavim Acher. After Acher stopped observing uh, mitzvos, he heard a baskal that said, everybody could do tshuva except for Acher. And the Gemara tells us that, uh, that he was riding on a horse on Shabbos, and Rabbi Meir was walking next to him, Lilmod Torah Mipiv. Rabbi Meir was following him to learn Torah from Acher. So Meir, Chazor Lacharecha. So Acher said to Rabbi Meir, Meir, turn around. Because I've, I've measured I've, uh, that, that up until this point is Tchum Shabbos, which is remarkable that he's able to do that just by counting the footsteps, the hoofsteps uh, of his horse. He was obviously quite a brilliant, uh, brilliant person. So Rabbi Meir said, you're telling me to return? You also do return, meaning in a different way. You do tshuva. No, no, I already heard from the other side 
that everyone could do tshuva except for Acher. So, uh, so the Gemara goes on to say that Acher then went into multiple Batei Medrash and he kept asking children, Psokli Psukech, tell me what Pasuk you learned. And the, uh, the, the Gemara says that each child told him another Pasuk that made it sound like he can't do tshuva. So uh, he totally gave up on the uh, possibility of doing tshuva. So now we have a problem. And the Gemara raises the stima. On the one hand, we said that if your Rebbe is Doma Lamal Hashem Tzavakos, then you're Mavakesh Torah Mipiv. But if he's not Doma Lamal Hashem Tzavakos, you cannot be Mavakesh Torah Mipiv. And yet, on the other hand, Rameir is following Acher around, learning Torah from Acher. The Gemara itself asks that question. The Gemara asks that question. So the Gemara answers, Amresh Lakish, Rabbi Meir, Kra Ashkach Vidarash. Rameir found a Pasuk to Darshan, Hat Oznucho Shma Divrechamim Velibchatoshes Ladati, Ladatom Lonemer Ladati, and Rabbi Khanin has a different Pasuk, and the, the, that seems to be a steer to the first Pasuk, and the Gemara ultimately says, Habegadol Habekatan. Essentially, the answer is that if you're an Adam Gadol, that if you're an Adam Gadol, then you're allowed to learn from someone who is Sanu uh, Shemane, who has a bad reputation. If you're an Adam Katan, you're a, a smaller level, tal, lower level Talmud, then you're not able to learn from him. And the Chorot should turn out that the Allah should be very clear. That if you're an Adam Gadol, you could learn from people, and from these kinds of people, from these kinds of books that they produce. But if you're not an Adam Gadol, then you're not allowed to learn from these kinds of people. So if you're going to ask this kind of question, the answer should be open and shut still. Follow what the Gemara says that if you're an Adam Gadol, it's fine, and if you're not an Adam Gadol, it's not fine. Problem is, in Shulchan Aruch, in the Ardeas, in Reish Memvav, Siv Ches, Shulchan Aruch just writes, Harav she'ena holich b'derech tova, avopi she'chachem gadolu v'kolam tshrichen lo, ain the maiden menu achshiachs v'lamutav. If a Rav is not a holich b'derech tova, he doesn't follow the proper path, even if he's a Chacham Gadol and everybody needs him, you don't learn from him Ad Shiyach until he does Tshuva, which is also an interesting thing. Like, at what point do you assume that a person does, uh, does Tshuva? But uh, the, the Shulchan Aruch doesn't say any distinction between an Adam Gadol and an Adam Katan. And the Shach is bothered by that Kasha. Shach says, I don't understand. Why doesn't the Shulchan Aruch distinguish between an Adam Gadol learning from him and an Adam Katan learning from him? So the Shach and Sivkat and Ches say, that it's because there's no such thing as an Adam Gadol anymore. That's what Tosos writes, Shach quotes from Tosos. Or, alternatively, it could be that Rabbi Meir held that an Adam Gadol is allowed to learn from Acher. But, you know, the Gemara says, Rabbi Meir kra ashkach v'darish. Rabbi Meir found a pasuk that justified learning from Acher. Maybe only Rabbi Meir held that way. But other people don't hold that way. And we don't paskin like Rabbi Meir. Whichever answer you choose of the Shach, the bottom line is, it would turn out that nobody is allowed to learn from such people, bizman hazeh. From such people, meaning people who are sunny shumane, whose reputation is entirely sullied, that you're not allowed to learn from them, bizman hazeh. Ramosha in a chuvin discusses whether you're allowed to learn from someone who serves as a conservative chazan or something, or a conservative rabbi, um, is he allowed to be a shochet? And in that tshuva he says, Certainly not to let him be a darshan or a magadshir, because you have to worry that he's going to be dorish divrei dofi, and he's going to be megalapanim shalok halacha, he's going to say things that are incorrect, or that are inappropriate, and even when there's no such chashash, the Gemara Moed Katan says, that if a person has 
has a bad reputation, you should not be mevakish tarami piv. So better not to learn from such a person. Now, Rav Moshe uh, 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 apparently includes in that category someone who's involved or engaged in the conservative movement, which is also a tricky issue. At what point do you consider someone to be sunny shamani? And I mean that in two ways. Number one, what kinds of things have to be said about the person to say that he's sunny shamani? There are a lot of different things that people do that may be considered unbecoming or inappropriate of a uh, of a rabbi. Uh, for example, some people may uh, be may, may may be dishonest in dine mamanis. They may be uh, they they could be that they've been running uh, you know an illegal. Uh, school lunch program or something like that, stealing money from the government or something like that. That's uh, quite terrible. There are other people that maybe have a Yetzir Hara for women. Other people maybe uh, maybe have, uh, have, have abused children. There are other people that maybe are just terrible balagaiva. They act with such arrogance and their midos don't seem to be nice midos. Uh, there, there are some people, uh, you know, that uh, whatever, you know, there are all sorts of different things that are unbecoming of a rabbi. Are all of those the same? All of those are the same level of sunny shamani? Some may be, you know, with the uh, Rav Moshe's case where someone is, uh, Rav Moshe's case is, uh, is someone who's, uh, who's a chazan in the conservative shul or something like that. So are all of those cases something that's uh, sunny shamani on the same level? Hard to imagine, right? Hard to imagine that that they're all considered on the same level of Sani Shemane. The other, the other point that needs to be made uh, about the definition and the Geder of Sani Shemane is how bad, how, at what point do you, do you get to the point where you say, this person has a bad reputation, and when do you say, no, it's not a bad reputation, it's one Russia that's speaking Lashon Hara about the person. That there's one, uh, there's, there's one, one uh, Talmud that uh, the Rebbe looked at him the wrong way, or the Rebbe gave him a bad mark on a Bechina or something, and the Talmud now says terrible things about the Rebbe because, you know, if he could bring him down, he's going to try to take him down. So that's, that's also, is that, is that called Sami Shemani now? Because there's one person that's saying everyone else loves him and everyone else thinks that he would never do such a thing and no one has ever had a negative experience with him and one uh, one person that seems like uh, who's totally off the rails is saying something about the person so is that is that also called sunny shamane so it seems that 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 in both cases there's going to be some gray area as far as both of these questions of how to be magdir what sunny shamane means there's going to be some uh, some some gray area but on the extremes it's 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 it becomes pretty obvious meaning if what is it let's take the first the first issue. If what is being said about the person is that the person is, uh, let's say, starting up with children, starting up with women, so there's no doubt that that would qualify as Sonny Shimane. If what's being said about the person is that the person, um, I don't know, his attitude rubs me the wrong way sometimes. That is not Sunni Shemani, right? That would not uh, fit that criteria. There are some people we get along with better. Some people, I'm sure we've all had Rebbeim in Yeshiva, some of whom we loved and adored, and some of whom we're like, ah, I just don't like that guy. I, I can't really explain why. There's nothing he's ever done anything, anything wrong or inappropriate. So that, that would not be Sunni Shemani. As uh, I asked Rabbi Willig a number of years ago, what about a Balgaiva? I once uh, interviewed him on the Headlines podcast about this issue. I said, what about a rabbi who's a Balgaiva? He said, well, you and I both know many rabbis were very successful Rabbanim that are Balagaiva. You know, sometimes yeah, you have people, it's not right, it's not good, it's terrible, they should not be uh, Balagaiva, and it's a terrible, terrible Mida, but that, that, that you, can't, you can't throw someone out of the Jewish community and uh, fire them from their job and uh, not allow people to
difficult to learn from them just because in your assessment the person seems to be a, uh, a Balgaiva. But someone who uh, starts up with women or with children or something like that, uh, that that's, that's certainly a Sunni Shemani. Uh, on the other hand, the, the other question also on the extremes becomes somewhat obvious. And again, consultation with Gedolei Torah on all of these issues. But I had the opportunity to interview Rabbi Willig again recently uh, why you was doing a... Um, they did a question-answer session for the boys uh, who are in yeshiva in Israel. Uh, so they did a question-answer session on Zoom because none of us were able to go to Israel. I wasn't able to go this month, and Rabbi Willig wasn't able to go this month, and Rabbi Shafter wasn't able to go this month. And not that we're not the same, but I'm just saying, like they weren't able to send uh, the people that normally go. So uh, so they had me interview Rabbi Willig on a Zoom for all the Shana Al Shanabet boys. So they all all the boys sent in questions, and then I was supposed to ask the questions. So uh, I ignored their questions because I wanted to ask Rabbi Willig about this. So instead, I asked about uh, about this, and I pretended it was a question that was submitted by the way. So uh, so I, when when I asked uh, Rabbi, uh, my my secret is safe with you. Yeah. So uh, so when when I when I when I asked Rabbi Willig uh, this question, he said, you know, that we are both, uh, we are all familiar, we are all familiar with cases where there's a person who's been working in uh, Chinuch for decades with a sterling reputation, sterling reputation, where the person uh, has helped so many people and there's never been a shemet of a, a whiff of any sort of chashash about the person whatsoever. And then one person comes with an accusation and they say something happened 15 years ago or whatever, that uh, one person comes with an accusation. And, you, you, when, and, and, and after that accusation comes out and is made public, nobody else comes out with another accusation. Nobody else says, yeah, that guy rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, that guy uh, did something to me also. That guy said something inappropriate to me. That Nobody else comes out with an accusation. Now, we can't know for sure. We never know for sure about anybody. And uh, about, about, we, we never know about anybody in their private lives, what they do or anything. But in those cases, it is most likely that that is not at all Sunni Shemane. That is a terrible act of, uh, we have to assume that that is a terrible act of rishos by, by the accuser, because uh, what are the chances? What are the chances that, uh, that something like that is, is actually true? In other cases, someone makes an accusation, and then all of a sudden, uh, all the dominoes start uh, falling. Uh, one accusation comes, and the next thing you know, it's 20 accusations. And it turns out that it's a pattern of behavior. And it turns out that there are people that are saying things. Now, again, do we know for sure? Was I in the room with them, or in the car with them, or wherever the accusations were made? When, when all those 20 things were said, we never know for sure. But would that rise to the level of Sani Shemane? Yeah, that would, that would rise to the level of Sani Shemane. In such a case, one L'chora Lachora, one would have to uh, would have to treat the person uh, on on on, the, on this uh, this level. Now now even so, even uh, considering all, all of that, I once had the um, unfortunately things like this happen all the time. You know, m- way more often than we would like them to happen. So I once uh, asked three different Kedole Torah, when this happened on a different occasion, you know, there was a rabbi who was very well respected, and uh, and, and uh, it turns out that there were several accusations um, and uh, some, some documented evidence that he was starting up with women in certain ways, um, you know, not, not in the most, uh, you know, uh, egregious ways, but in certain ways that are certainly inappropriate for, uh, for a rabbi. 
and um, and and I asked uh, three Gedolei Torah at the time what their feeling was about learning that person's Torah and uh, you know following the Piskei Halacha that you've received from that person. So Rav Willich Shlita felt in that case uh, obviously not to continue to learn from them. But as far as old things that they taught you, so he said, if what they taught you is, uh, you know, Dine Nashim, maybe you should question those those things. But if, uh, you know, they taught you Hilcha uh, Shabbos, you don't have to assume that just because they had the are for Nashim, that everything they've taught you in the past about Hilcha Shabbos is somehow flawed. Uh, Rav David Feinstein, Zechron of um, thought that nah, just because a person has a reputation, you don't have to assume, even if he taught you Hilchus Nida, you don't have to assume that what he taught you was incorrect. He was teaching Torah, and he has a, he has a Yetzirah. The Yetzirah apostles him from serving as a Rav, certainly going forward, because he acted on that Yetzirah, so that apostles him from uh, from continuing to serve as a Rav. But you don't have to go back and, and, and apostle everything that he ever taught you. You can assume that he was teaching you something that was genuine and that was uh, that was correct. Uh, Rav Shechter Shlita uh, took a, a, the, the opposite extreme. And Rav Shachter said that uh, once a person has shown himself not to be from the Balei Hamasora, so then uh, you have to assume, and he has a, a whole uh, arichas about this in the Sefer Nefesh Arav, I don't have time to get into it right now, but it's quite a beautiful piece that he has in Nefesh Arav, that when a Chacham gives a Psak Halacha, why do we believe that Psak Halacha? Is, is it because of Eid Echanem Bisurin? Certainly not because of Eid Echanem Bisurin, because then he wouldn't be able to paskin against the Cheskas Isir, and he wouldn't be never and a Shailov and Aguna, because the Eindov Hashem Avrapach's Mishnayim. Why do we believe a Psakalach of a Chacham? Because a Chacham becomes one of the Chachme Hamasora. He becomes a Bala Masora, and that's what gives him his whole Ne'em And uh, the, uh, the, 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 uh, uh, the, the, you know, for example, the Gemara Nidus discusses whether a woman is believed to say about a Mare that a, a certain Chacham was Matir that Mare for her. Lachora Ein Mipied is Neman Bisurim. Why wouldn't we? believers. Rav Salvechik explained because only a Baal Masora is, is, is a trustworthy aid when it comes to Psak Halacha. So someone who's not a Baal Masora, someone who's not a, uh, a, a qualified Baal Masora is not a trustworthy aid when it comes to these kinds of things. So Rav Shechter said if the person has shown himself not to be a Baal Masora, he cannot be Naaman about anything, not in the future, nor in the past. And what about things that are that he said in the name of Gedola Yisrael? You have to assume that he didn't understand what the Gedola Yisrael were saying, because he is not a Baal Masora, which is quite an extreme, quite an extreme formulation. Um, so, uh, but that is, that's how Rav Shechter holds. Um, now, uh, let's bring it back home. So if you have a person who is undoubtedly Sunni Shemani, where the accusations are flying and it seems that there's Raglayim Ladavar, and we don't know for sure anything, we don't know anything for sure, but there seems to be Raglayim Ladavar, there's no doubt that we don't go to that person anymore for any uh, spiritual guidance or help or anything of that, uh, that nature. What about the books that were written? So if it were Divrei Torah, that were written lecharetz taloi on this on this machlokas uh, on this uh, these three uh, these three shitos. Uh, what about if the books are storybooks and they're just lovely stories and it's not really uh, it's not really Torah and the books were you know there's a reason there you know they sold millions of copies and everyone uh, everyone loves them so there's another factor to take into account and that is that if the person is accused of the most serious kinds of abuse one has to uh, keep in mind not just keep in mind but pay very careful attention to uh, the feelings of the victims. And if a victim walks into a shul and sees the books of their um, 
attacker on, on the shelves of the shul and that the kids are reading from these books. It is extremely hurtful, apparently, to the victims, and it's very mistaver that it would be hurtful to the victims. So uh, when I asked Rav Shachter about this, he said the shuls should really take it off the shelves. The shuls should not keep the, the, the books up on the shelves um, because uh, because even if the stories are perfectly fine and you gain inspiration from them and it's not, you know, and it's not Torah, so you don't need a Balmasora to be, it's just because of the harm that it can cause the victims, it should certainly be taken off of the shelves and therefore by stores also, you know, in a public setting, they should not be offered in a public setting. If in private you want to look up a story that you remember seeing there and uh, you remember and you have the book in your house okay look up the story and find the story there that wouldn't be as uh, much of a of a problem because it's not Torah per se and uh, and and so it's not learning Torah from the person and uh, and and as far as um, and as far as the harm to the victims, if it's done, you know, something that you, you uh, go to your basement and you open up the book to look up a story that you remember from years ago or something, it does not, you certainly want to go out of your way to look for more from this person, but that, that would be the, uh, the approach in these kinds of, uh, these kinds of cases. Uh, Halavai, we should never have these cases, although unfortunately uh, it does seem to come up every now and then, but again, we should uh, maintain our, uh, our faith in, in humanity. Um, 